Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond curriculum, beyond programs, beyond best practices, to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots, and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership, also at Discipleship Ministries. Today in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the relationship between baptism and discipleship and small groups. And we're going to sort of ground what we're doing today in a quote from a hymn written by Charles Wesley in honor of the opening of the Kingswood School. All right. At the time that was um, in, in Kingswood, just outside of Bristol. Um, the school has since been moved from there to Bath. Okay. But, um, but Wesley wrote, in, in one of the stanzas in the hymn, he writes, Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety. So what baptism does is it does connect those two things of knowledge and vital piety. And this is done particularly when we are joined together with other Christians in small groups right. to help us. One of the things we do in small groups, particularly in the Wesleyan tradition, is to help and support one another to live out our baptism day to day. Right. Well, I interviewed a few, well, a while ago, I interviewed um, our friend and colleague, uh, Liturgy Man, <laughs> also known as uh, Taylor Burton Edwards, the Director of Worship Resources at Discipleship Ministries. And I asked Taylor to share with us, talk to us about the relationship between baptism and discipleship. What does baptism have to do with discipleship? Pretty much everything. <laughs> Um, it, by, by God's gift to us through the sacrament of baptism, we are given the power to live as disciples of Jesus Christ in the world. That God begins in baptism this, this work in us of not simply forgiving our past sins, but actually delivering us from the power of sin and helping us to live lives that help others get free from the power of sin as well. Um, of course, as, as Wesleyans, we understand that God is out to save us completely. Um, not just make our lives a little bit better, not just um, help us get through tough times, though God does all those things too, but ultimately, God is out to save us, one and all, and God is out to um, save not just us individually, but truly to, to generate new creation in the universe. And baptism is that um, sign, act, and means of grace by which God gets the whole ball rolling. And anytime you get the ball rolling on something, that ball keeps rolling. <laughs> Hopefully, it just keeps rolling. The, the vows of the baptismal covenant are, uh, are kind of the, the core guide to what it looks like to keep letting, to, to cooperate with God's grace in our lives to keep that ball rolling. 
to keep moving in the path of renouncing the spiritual forces of wickedness, rejecting the evil powers of this world, repenting, turning away from the power of sin and toward the work of God, redeeming the world through God's reign, the kingdom of God. It, is, it, it, it keeps us moving in this path of accepting the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in every form they present themselves. In baptism, we are being empowered to uh, boldly confess Jesus Christ as the only Savior there is. And, um, and his way of salvation is truly what actually saves, um, as opposed to every other solution that the world offers. This is, this is what God does. This is how God saves the world, through the self-offering love of God through Jesus Christ toward us, becoming one flesh with us, that flesh may be redeemed and assumed into, into God. Um, and as we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and put our whole trust in his grace, and that's, that itself takes some ongoing practice to keep working at letting go more and trusting more in, in the grace of God. Um, and as, as we do that, um, and we, we continue this practice of serving him as Lord, following in the way that he leads. Um, we are supported in baptism, which puts us into this church by this body called the church that uh, keeps reminding us and keeps loving us and keeps surrounding us with a community of love and forgiveness and keeps praying for us. Or as John Wesley liked to say frequently, watching over one another in love. Um, so that we are able to keep growing in holiness of heart and life and representing Christ and God's intention to save entirely um, better and better all the time. Um, baptism is all of that. Baptism points directly at what, um, what our discipleship is and is to be. Um, and the Book of Discipline, of all things, actually even sort of says this. Um, and it's tucked away at the beginning of a paragraph that people think about as the getting rid of members paragraph. Um, mm. But it's actually called care of members. But the very first statement in that paragraph, number 231, is that all persons are to be accountable for the baptismal, the vows of the baptismal covenant. And um, so w one of the ways in which baptism is intended by the discipline and really by, by Christian life generally um, to continue to influence our discipleship is to be in those accountable relationships in which we're being asked, okay, so, so what is, how is renunciation going in your life? And how can we help you do that better? How are you doing in accepting the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression? And how can we help you do that better? How is the Spirit opening that up in the lives of others around here that perhaps you can, you can learn something from? How can you offer that gift to somebody else? So when I say um, baptism has just about everything you can think of to do with discipleship, that's some of what I mean. Okay, so then how can a congregation help make that connection with people, you know, in people's minds? Their baptism is about helping, is about a life of discipleship. Well, and start by just saying that. <laughs> that would help a lot. Um, but also by remembering and, and helping people as they're in the process of preparing for baptism. And really, I think this is ultimately uh, confirmation processes and, and new member processes need to be far less about the politics of the church 
and far more about the practices of the church, what baptismal living, what living as a disciple of Jesus looks like and helping each other do it better. So when you say politics of the church, what I'm hearing is you mean the the polity or the structure of the church. Yes, that, that's that right. We need to spend less time on that in conversation, converse, um, confirmation. Yes. And more time on helping young people live as disciples. That's right. And learn what that means to be, what it means to be baptized. That's right. And, and what it means not only to have said these words once and maybe say, yeah, I, I affirm those kinds of things in my life again, now mm. for myself to a certain degree, but actually to gain some practice in their own lives, in their own experience of what that looks like, that they can continue to grow in for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. The, the whole part, I think part of our, our challenge has been to reclaim the work of discipling, which, has, which is, is a work of, of really intensive formation, um, of, of learning to live life in every way, um, in terms of discipleship to Jesus, according to what Jesus has revealed to us about the kingdom of God and the way that he opens that up to, to the world. Um, and uh, that takes practice. That takes a heck of a lot of love and forgiveness. <laughs> uh, one of the great things, the things I, one of the things I love about the disciples in the Gospel of Mark is how they are portrayed as almost never getting it. And what does Jesus do? Yes, he corrects them, and he says, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. He keeps calling them forward. They keep learning, and they keep not learning, and that's really the way it is. It's a great picture of how this goes. Um, but it's that community of love and forgiveness that Jesus established with those disciples that he then says, now go do this for others. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the kind of uh, exciting, challenging, painful, um, ultimately really good and saving set of relationships that we are called into in this process of discipling people. As a disciple, as a, as a baptized person, then I can help others to live their baptized life, to, to disciple others. That's, that's, that's the call of Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's what we're all called to do, <laughs> That's what right? we're called to do, is to, is to so, live out this, this life of, of yeah. having been discipled and that, that beautiful image that Paul has of the church is the body of Christ, in which the members support each other in a variety of ways, is a lovely way of talking about um, how that, again, back to Wesley, watching over one another in love mm-hmm. can go. Uh, when we respect the different gifts and also, yes, I've got this gift, but I don't have that one, but you do. So how can, what can you help me see that I can't see? What can you help me do I can't do? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things I don't need to try to do because here in the body, you've got it. Mm-hmm. And, I can, and part of that gift is I can support you and cheer you on while you do it, and you can do the same for me while I do stuff that you, that you don't do. Um, but it's the whole body that's being brought together. And um, the disciples of Jesus were themselves a community, not just a bunch of holy solitaries. Great. Thank you very much, Taylor. You're welcome. Well, Steve, there's a lot to unpack uh, with, between what you said and Liturgy Man. One of the things that, I, that really stuck out to me, and I've listened to this a couple of times, is how uh, Taylor grounded discipleship in baptism, while also showing how discipleship, or baptism rather, points forward, points a path for 
discipleship. Now, I, I, I am going to have some fun with Taylor the next time we see him and explain to him that he misquoted the, dis- the book of discipline. Oh, my. I mean... No, not Taylor. <laughs> you wouldn't think it, but Liturgy Man has failed us on this account. On this, this account. Um, he quoted paragraph 231, and I think he meant to quote paragraph 228. Now, I, I wasn't familiar with this. I had to go back and look it up, and that's why I found out. It wasn't in 231. I'm pretty sure it was in 228. Um, and in, in there, what we find are, are, are two parts. One is that it reminds us the church has a moral and spiritual obligation to nurture its members, both active and inactive, which I found quite interesting. But then it goes on to add that the primary responsibility and initiative rests with each professing member to faithfully perform the vows of, baptiz- of, the, ba- vows of the baptismal covenant. So we see that the church has a responsibility to do the nurturing while each member has the role of the responsibility for living out their discipleship. Another thing that occurred to me in listening to the interview is how when you join the two, baptism and discipleship, that it creates the proper culture for small groups to thrive. It gives the proper foundation and guidance. One of the things that Taylor liturgy man said was, God is out to save us completely, which I thought was a great phrase. And it's there in small groups that we can live that out, that we can learn about that and learn how to do that. Absolutely. That's right. Um, The uh, baptismal covenant, you know, really forms our identity as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And the, the covenant, you know, if you look at the covenant, you see that there are, you know, three participants okay. in this relationship. And, you know, it's a relationship. The baptism is the beginning of a relationship. And the, the initiator of that relationship is God. Hmm. Important to keep that point yeah. in before us. God clear. is yeah. the one who initiates the relationship, who provides the grace that we need then to live out our lives in that relationship with God who comes to us and is revealed to us in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you see that in the, um, the introduction to the baptismal covenant, where the pastor says, Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. So God is the first participant who initiates the relationship and who nurtures us and gives us what we need to live out that, our relationship with God in Christ. We each then are obviously the infant or the adult who is presented for baptism is the, is partic- is the other participant. Sure. You know, we individually, it's a personal sure. relationship, it's a personal um, decision that we make, um, and we make promises to God in these vows. And if you look in, if you uh, you can look in your hymnal on page 34 of the hymnal, where you find the renunciation of sin and profession of faith, and these are the baptismal vows, where we um, renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of our sin where we accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression um, wherever they present themselves. And we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and put our whole trust in his grace 
and promised to serve him as our Lord in union with the church, which Christ is open to people of all ages, nations, and races. And then, let's see, then there's the, the, the final vow is according to the grace given you, will you remain faithful members gotcha. of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. So infants, for infants, the parents make these promises on their behalf and promise to raise the child in the church, in the way of Jesus. And then there comes the third participant in this okay. covenant. So we've done two, is, this is three. Yep. Which is the congregation. And the congregation, the pastor then turns to the congregation and says, do you as Christ's body of the church reaffirm both your rejection of sin and commitment to Christ? And we say, we do. do. And then, will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? To which the congregation responds, and this is where the promises are, and I think this is where congregations need to be regularly reminded of these promises. That's right. And I think that helps to create a culture of discipleship in the congregation. The promises are, to we will proclaim the good news and live according to, to the example of Christ. We will surround one another, these persons, um, and all each of us um, with a community of love and forgiveness that we may grow in our trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. And finally, we promise to pray mm. for the baptized, that they may be true disciples, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. These are big promises. Yes, they are. <laughs> and that's why small groups, particularly in the Wesleyan tradition, are so essential to the formation of disciples, to, for, for the congregation to keep these promises that we make in the baptismal covenant. And in my work as director of Wesleyan leadership, I discovered, I don't know if, well, I'll say, I discovered something <laughs> okay. a few years ago as I was doing work with the general rules, which is the Methodist, the United Methodist rule of life. Yep. Um, and the, the general rules, many of you are familiar with the three simple rules. Oh yeah, Reuben Job. Uh, but to, to do no harm by avoiding evil of every kind by doing good to all as often as you can, to their bodies and to their souls. And finally, well... This is probably where we disagree a little bit with This is where Job. we have a little you know, <laughs> quibble with Bishop Job. Yeah. And rather than to stay in love with God, Mr. Wesley says, to attend by attending upon all the ordinances of God. And then he lists the six practices that are based... That's, are things that Christians have done from the very beginning of the church. Um, the, let's see, the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, which is hearing the word of God okay. read and expounded, the supper of our Lord, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of Holy Communion, searching the scriptures, family and private prayer, and fasting or abstinence. These six practices are how we uh, attend to the ordinances of God or practice or live in our personal relationship with God as a, as a community and individually, personally, right. okay? 
So there's direct correlation between these three general rules and the first three vows. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting gift. And you see that the first vow is, you know, renouncing, rejecting, and repenting of sin. Do no harm Mm. by avoiding evil, especially that which is generally practiced, which is the way Wesley puts it. Gotcha. So we could say when in response to that vow, I do, by doing no harm. That'd be an interesting way to do that, yeah. And secondly, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I do, by doing good. And then finally, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ is open to people of all ages, nations, and races? I do, by attending upon all the ordinances of God or practicing the works of piety. So these, there's that connection. And so when a congregation has this culture of discipleship, and small groups are regularly checking in with each other about how are you living your baptism? That's, what, that's the power of small groups is in those, those relationships that are formed and then to help each other make sure that we're following Jesus in the world. Makes sense. I mean, that, that adds, as you know, both what you and Taylor, Liturgy Man, have said, you know, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of the connections that you've made, the dots you've connected. One of the things that comes to mind is something that uh, Mary Jane Pierce Norton, our former interim general secretary, told us. And she had this slogan. I think it came actually from Disney, and we'll give Disney credit for this. It's not something I'm, I like to do, but we're going to do that. <laughs> and they had this phrase that says, culture by design, culture well-defined, culture clear to all. And I think what I hear from the both of you is when we connect these dots for folks, we're helping to create a culture that's clear that we have expectations and responsibilities for the baptized to, to be doing and for the church to, mm-hmm. be, to be doing and to be clear about. So, Steve, I think one of the things we've probably both seen in visiting churches is we've probably seen baptism that, that isn't done very well. I know we talked a little bit about this beforehand, where baptism seems a little bit like fire insurance or sort of a, a checkoff that they've done. Um, and and you, you kind of mentioned that about how we, how we see it that way sometimes, which is really unfortunate. And one of the things that Liturgy Man said is that really it's, it's the beginning. It gets the ball rolling. One of the things that I read recently talked about, it, it quoted this, this is from Dan Benedict. It said, baptism marks the beginning not the end of the struggle, which I thought was a really good way of talking about how it begins discipleship. But anything else you want to say about uh, baptism when it's not done well? Again, I think the, the importance of having that culture of discipleship in the congregation determines how baptism and really how the sacraments okay. are, are part of the life of the congregation. So when there's a, a culture of, when a culture of discipleship is not the dominant culture of the congregation, then I think the sacraments become sort of peripheral to the, to the worshiping life of the congregation. Baptism, the, 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 that, that connection between baptism and discipleship is disjoined. Yeah. 
um, baptism then becomes something that we do with children. And or there's four very, children. And, and, there's, and there's very little preparation for it. Yeah. So it's important then to have that connection, to have that connection between baptism, what we do in baptism, what, what God is doing, what we as individuals, what the, bap, the person being presenting themselves for baptism, what it means to them and how they are ready to, to begin to live into these promises, that they understand the promises that they're making, yeah. that the parents understand the promises that they are making for and, for and with their child or children. And the, the congregation needs to understand and, and be reminded of the promises we make as a congregation to one another, um, particularly to the person standing before us making these promises to God and to the church um, and to Christ, um, understanding that we need, that they can't do that on their own. Right. And, you know, I've, I've raised this with, with you, Scott, that, you know, if we're not really willing or able to help one another to live out the baptismal covenant, should we be baptizing people? That's, that's an incredible challenge. That, that's something that we really need to wrestle with. And again, that goes to the importance of developing that culture of discipleship. Or another way I've been thinking about it, develop an ecology of discipleship. Yeah, it's a great word for it, yeah. That in which, in any, and if you've studied ecology, you know that ecology the, the, is, is a systemic understanding of the world and that how everything is connected. Yep. And everything is connected in order to sustain life yep. and to, to help to provide for the, the nutrients and the, the life so that, the, that everything can live and Abundantly. grow and Abundantly. be abundant. Yeah. Um, that's how we understand. So if you think about that a congregation needs to develop an ecology of discipleship yep. and how we do that. Now, I have some practical yep. suggestions Good. as to how to do that. One is to adopt a rule of life. And a rule of life is simply a guide for helping people, the congregation, to practice the means of grace and to grow in holiness of heart and life. And the way Wesley defines holiness of heart and life is simply loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, or loving who God loves mm. as God lo the way God loves them. And so a, a rule of life, and we have a rule of life in what I described earlier, yep. the general rules. Um, another something that, that I recommend congregations adopt, rather than the general rules, adopt the general rule of discipleship, hmm. which is derived from the general rules, and it's a single statement that's easily memorized, that can be put on, on posters and stuff around the, you know, on the sanctuary and around the church building. And the general rule of discipleship is simply to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So that's a simple statement that describes how we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind through acts of worship and devotion and how we love one another and love our neighbors as ourselves through acts of compassion and acts of justice. 
So have that general rule then that guides what every group, the way every Creates group in culture. the church yep. conducts itself and does its business. And you know, I recommend then that every, when small groups meet, no matter what the small group is, that they need to, in their meetings, whether they're weekly meetings or every, they meet every two weeks or every month, that they set aside some time maybe you know, to pair off with accountability partners or as a group, however they decide to do this, to set aside like 10, 15 minutes to share with one another. Yeah, that's good. How are, you living and f- how are you living our rule of life? How are you, what, are the, what have you been doing in terms of acts of compassion and justice, worship and devotion? How are you living as a witness to Jesus Christ in the world? And I think that would go a long way to help of helping the congregation then to keep the promises they make, to be a community of love and forgiveness. And it's also a way that the congregation can obey Jesus' command, that, that, that new commandment that he gave back you know, in, in the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter, where he says to the, the disciples at the Last Supper, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, not as the world loves you, but as I love, for it's the way you love one another that they, meaning the world, will know that you are my disciples. So one of the ways we love one another in that way is by helping one another to live as followers of Christ in the world. Yeah, very good. I'm going to name just a few more quick things, and then we'll wrap up. I think one of the other things we can do is to keep these vows before church council and other co- committees to make them aware yeah. of, you know, regularly, this is what we're doing. This is who we are to help create that culture. Because as we know, culture eats strategy for lunch, as we've heard <laughs> quite often, which I think is absolutely true. Yeah. We could have the great mission statements. We can do all these things, but we've got to help create that culture. The other thing that Liturgy Man advocates is instead of saying, uh, remember, uh, how do you say? Remember you were baptized. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism, right? Instead, he advocates for. Remember you are baptized. Yeah, and I think that can be just that subtle shift can be a huge help in terms of reminding people, oh yeah, this is who I am. Therefore, I need to go and live as one of the the baptized. All right. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up, Steve? I think hopefully this is helpful for folks in terms of connecting the dots of baptism, discipleship, creating that culture, that ecology that becomes a great foundation for small groups in terms of giving them a purpose and a reason. Anything else you want to add before I close this in prayer? No, I think I've said enough today. (laughs) Right, very good. Well, it's been very meaningful stuff. I mean, I think it's extreme. I think there's a lot in what both you and Steve have said, or Liturgy Man have said. Well, I'm sure we've raised lots of questions about... You know, how might we do this? What might this look like? And perhaps people have questions for us, and I hope they'll uh, engage with us. They can certainly find us at our website, umcdiscipleship.org, and our emails are, are there. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, I know I'm at Rev Scott Tweets and also at UMC Adult Form. Steve, where are you on Twitter? I'm at at S Manskar. So that's at S M A N S K A R. 
And so we do hope you will interact with us, ask your questions, uh, retweet, all those sort of fun things. And as we promised before, there's going to be some fun giveaways for, for those who interact with us. So be on the lookout for that. With that, I'll close us with prayer. Our prayer is found in the Book of Worship. It is a prayer for the church, and it's 504 for those interested, and it goes like this. O God of all times and places, we pray for your church, which is set today amidst the perplexities of a changing order and face-to-face with new task. Baptize her afresh in the life-giving spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.